0: Greetings, space opera fans. Join a lonely astronaut upon the vermilion sands in Third Flatiron's podcast of Alex Zalpin's new science fiction story, And Yet They Move. Alex hails from New York and does a live weekly talk show about comic books at comicbookclublive.com, along with a regular writing gig at decider.com. Our thanks to Alex for this highly entertaining story, which first appeared in the anthology Galileo's Theme Park. For more from Third Flatiron, check out our website at thirdflatiron.com and subscribe to our feed. And now, here's And Yet They Move, read by Keeley Root.
1: And Yet They Move, by Alex Zalban. Angela lay on the beach on a planet in the middle of an impossible solar system and waited for the tide to wash over her until she floated away. She listened to the crash of the waves as they slammed into the shore, methodically washing away grains of tiny red sand. Angela pictured herself as one of those grains, a tiny speck in the center of her own universe. Only there was no one else on the beach with her, no one on the planet or in the solar system. Only Angela, all alone, light-years away from the nearest human being. She stuck her fingers in the red sand next to her and felt the granules rush and fall as she wiggled her digits in the coolness, creating mountains that crumbled into valleys in the blink of an eye. That was all Pisa V was, sand and waves, vast, empty oceans and more specks of dark, red sand the color of blood than there were stars in the sky. Angela sighed at the metaphor, because of course that wasn't accurate. Of course, there were more stars. She pictured her father's withering glance at the thought, felt the sting of his disdain at her artistic flights of fancy. There's no room for art and science, he would scold her, gesturing to change her display from ancient music videos or old paintings. Angela loved everything from Renaissance to Dada, to more acceptable equations and courses of study. Angela's imagination, her love of music, always felt to her like the thing that held her back from greatness. She had always daydreamed through lessons as a child, and could coast on her natural intelligence. While a teacher would drone on about something she had studied and memorized days earlier, she would replay old songs by Michael Jackson, her favorite, in her head. But joining the Global Space Service had widened her world and taught her a more important yet devastating lesson. She was not the smartest person in the room. It had been her dream to see the stars, to innovate and discover like the scientists of old. It seemed so romantic, the perfect marriage of what she was good at, math, and what she loved, art, and even more than art, music. But in no uncertain terms she had been told those times were long gone, should not be spoken of ever. Instead, the GSS put their faith in computers and devices. The almighty screen, Angela would sometimes whisper bitterly to herself, through the umpteenth demonstration of a program that would revolutionize humanity's incessant need to propagate throughout their otherwise empty solar system. They weren't scientists, in Angela's opinion, they were viruses, shuttling slick metal pods around the universe and maintaining the works, reading the readouts and trusting what the computers spat out over their own eyes. In this, she was alone, and felt the ache of that loneliness. She had no friends at the GSS, only colleagues who seemed happy to check in and out every day, trading their work screens for their home screens. Though when an opportunity arose to travel to Pisa 5, Angela immediately volunteered. Are you sure? her supervisor had asked. He was a believer in the truth of computers like the rest of them, but she appreciated his occasional empathy. This is essentially a one-way trip. By the time you get back, everyone you know and love will be dead. Angela stifled a laugh when she heard that. It wouldn't have been appropriate, because she had no one. Her parents had died years earlier, her father given what amounted to a parade by the GSS elite. She often suspected it was her father's name more than natural ability that kept her employed. She had nothing except a box-sized apartment filled with a mattress, a desk, and the old, unplayable records she had managed to collect over time. Though it was impossible to find a record player, and even digital music had long ago gone out of vogue, she liked to look at the covers. Sometimes she stared at the cover of Jackson's History for hours, analyzing whether the statue on the front was looking towards the future or back to the past. Otherwise, everything else in her life Angela had delivered and disposed of through her apps like everyone else. So she had left Earth, the sole human occupant of a probe named the Santa Croce, rocketed at near light speed toward an alien planet that seemed to defy every law of physics. Her mission was simple, remain in hypersleep until the ship arrived, fix anything that broke or would impede the probe's recordings, and otherwise let the Santa Croce do what it was built to do. After exactly a year of studying the planet, she would return to hypersleep, and the probe would return to Earth. Only... Angela wasn't going to be on board. Instead, a day before the Santa Croce was scheduled to return, she had taken a pod down to the surface of Pisa 5 and decided that she would die the way she lived, utterly alone. What does she have back on Earth, anyway? A planet ruled by computers, filled with humans who worshipped their interfaces, prayed to their screens, lived by them. It would be worse now, she decided, decades from when she left. Instead, she lay in the sand and let the waves wash over her. Drowning wouldn't be pleasant, but at least it would be unique. Nobody had ever died on this planet before, because no life had existed here before. Angela could feel the crushed stone of the beach tickling the hair on the back of her neck. Looking up, she could see the moons of Pisa V as they arced across the sky. That was normal enough, but what made Pisa V unique, what made it impossible was that every other planet in the solar system, and even the sun, revolved around the planet. When the GSS first detected the system around PISA-5, there was panic, mostly surrounding the idea that something was wrong with their sensors. Then a greater panic, as the computers couldn't explain why or how PISA-5 acted the way it did. It challenged the heliocentric model that had dominated science for centuries. It was decided that up-close probing would be necessary to prove this was just an error, and five years later, they were ready to launch. The only personal belonging Angela had taken with her to the planet was a telescope. It was old and worn, made of wood with brass connections and knobs. And when she had begged her father to buy her one as a child, she had seen a painting by a man named H.J. de Touche of one from 1754 that had seared into her memory. He had laughed. What did she need a tiny telescope for when their sensors were so much more powerful? But he had relented and tracked down an antiquities dealer to get her one for her 16th birthday. Her father wasn't all coldness. Sometimes his love did shine through. So instances were few and far between. But she had kept by her side ever since. Angela reached her hand, the one that wasn't buried in sand, over to feel the telescope on her other side. She traced the metal, feeling where it had chipped and broken, and carefully swiped her fingertip on the glass. Better clean that, she thought, and laughed, because it barely mattered. She could feel the chill of the surf as it washed over her feet now. It was almost time. Angela shivered, and her mind wandered to the problem of the impossible system. The issue wasn't necessarily that the system rotated around Pisa 5. A large enough planet with a strong enough gravitational pull could, in theory, do that. But Pisa 5 was about the size of Mars, and the fact that Angela could comfortably walk on the surface without flattening into a pancake was proof that gravity wasn't working overtime either. The sun was an issue. Centuries earlier, scientists had realized a heliocentric model wasn't just a possibility, it was the only possibility. Time, and additional discovery, had proven them correct. The amount of mass needed to keep a star stable was so great that if a planet dwarfed it in size, it would then be sucked directly into the star. Potentially, multiple orbs could have the ability to exert a gravitational pull on each other, so three bodies, a star and two planets, say, could work together in a type of circular pull. But that was massively unstable. Even a small meteor passing through could knock one of the orbs off its rotational axis. And even with years of theories, the GSS had discovered no evidence this scenario had ever occurred. Yet somehow, PISA-5 was the center of this system. Everything rotated around this dead, otherwise completely normal planet. The sensors on the Santa Croce had detected nothing out of the ordinary. Angela checked every day for anomalies. Because she was supposed to, that's what she was trained to do. But every day for a year, the results had come back the same. Every day, she would head down the slick metal hall to visit the glass display at the front of the probe. She'd look through the display, Pisa 5, filling the entirety of the screen in front. It looked like a window, but like every wall of the ship, it was only a way of accessing the central computer. And read the results. System normal. Every time. 364 days of this, and she had come to loathe the ship, the screen, the planet, and most of all herself. When the probe returned, she would go back to being nothing and no one. She hadn't proved anything or discovered anything. The computers would be judged accurate, the solar system disregarded as an anomaly, and she would go back to her one-room apartment and order in dinners and existence without meaning. When she pictured home, she pictured her records, and specifically the face of Jackson on the cover of his Bad album, staring at her, judging her. It made her feel sick. Better to do something with her life, even if it was to be the first human to die on Pisa 5. The water was up to her hips now, and she bit her lip to hold back a tear. She wasn't going to cry, not for her life, not for anything. She grabbed the telescope and lifted it to her right eye. Squinting the other one, she looked up at the stars and marveled at their beauty. Even if the GSS has reduced everything to the by-the-book texts and rules, she still gasped every time she saw the wide expanse of the universe. So Angela looked at the stars and waited for it all to end. The waves crashed rhythmically, almost making music as they hit the beach. Then as the riptide pulled the water back with a whoosh. Idly, Angela began to hum along with the waves, a noteless tune that nonetheless seemed familiar. The telescope briefly went black, as if a leaf had blown past it, and Angela removed it from her eye to check for obstructions. There was nothing there. Placing it carefully again, she looked through, then turned her gaze to one of the moons caught in Pisa V's orbit. Angela gasped. What she saw didn't seem possible, but there was so much that didn't seem possible about this place. It looked to her eye, through the telescope, like a long, thin tube was extended from the moon and past the horizon. Removing the telescope again, it wasn't visible. Then she looked through the lens, and there it was. Heart pounding, she pivoted to one of the other moons, and sure enough, a tube, headed straight for the planet's surface. How had these not been visible from space? Perhaps she had been too close to the planet. That's what the Santa Croce had been tasked to study, not the system. And only now, taking the wider view, was she able to see the truth. She looked from heavenly body to heavenly body, her breath coming quicker. It was clear that they were all connected to the planet. She looked carefully at the side of the sun, not directly at it. Even when getting ready to die, she still didn't want to go blind. Sure enough, another long tube. In her mind, she pictured what it must look like from the edge of the system. All those tubes connected to one main fulcrum, the planet Pisa V. It looked like something. Something she knew. And then just like that, she saw it in her mind, a model of a solar system. Not a heliocentric model, but a geocentric one. The model used by the ancient Greeks and believed by religions and scientists for centuries until the truth of heliocentrism came crashing down. This wasn't a system at all, Angela realized. It was a giant model. That's how it worked. That's why it seemed to defy physics. It was a toy. And with that came another revelation, one that made her burst into the tears she had been holding back, the salt water streaming down the sides of her face and mingling with the surf that now was up to her shoulders. I know that music, Angela thought, and then yelled out loud. I know this music. I know this song. Wet and sobbing, she held tight to her telescope and propped herself up with the other hand. She ran back to the pod across the beach, away from the surf. She would take the pod to the ship and then home. They wouldn't want to hear what she had found, might even try to destroy her for telling them. But she would tell them anyway. They needed to know. Everyone needed to know. The pod door closed and the rocket flared up beneath, ready to send Angela back. On the beach, the waves continued to gently tap out their song. A song that could only be created by a tide perfectly manipulated by the gravitational pull of the bodies rotating in harmony around Pisa 5. You are not alone, the planet sang, over and over again. You are not alone.
0: Thanks for listening to this podcast from thirdflatiron.com. Original music by Disco Volante. Sound production was by Andrew Cairns.